This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor can again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there, be, there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So you've probably been to a beach before. Um, And honestly, I'm not a huge fan of the ocean. Uh, You know, the whole idea of things being bigger than me that could eat me living there is not my favorite thing. Uh, But on the right day with the right conditions, you know, like I can see all the way clearly to the bottom of the water, all of those pieces, and it's really hot. I do enjoy getting in and and jumping and playing in the waves, sometimes with the kids. And um, what's interesting about doing that is as you're out facing the ocean and you're just playing in the waves and you're just having a good time, it's really easy when you look back to think, man, where did my chair go? Where's my towel because they, they seem to have moved. But the reality is they're still in the same spot you left them. You just drifted away. 
it's easy to drift in the ocean, and it's actually really easy to drift in life too. It's, it's way easier to drift away from something than it is to stay fixed on it, actually. You have to keep your eyes fixed on those chairs when you're swimming in the ocean, fixed on your towel to make those little adjustments to stay in front of it. You have to stare them down so that you don't look up and wonder, how in the world did I get where I am? That's why we're in this series, We Are the Church. It's for that reason, because it's, it's easy to drift and it's hard to stay focused. Let me be clear, we, we aren't here because we're, we're saying as a group of elders that we've lost the mission or we've lost our distinctives or we've, we've drifted so far away that we don't have our core values anymore. I'm, I'm saying that we're here because the elders can't be the only ones with our eyes fixed on it. The, the staff can't be the only ones with our eyes fixed on the mission, fixed on the distinctives. It has to be us as a church body. For us to be a church that is about making disciples for the glory of God through the power of the gospel, we all have to have our eyes fixed on that or we will drift. We will move away from the thing that God has called us to. It has to be a whole church thing. Church, we are the church. You are the church. We have a mission. You have that mission. We have distinctives. You should be about those distinctives. So we're here so we don't drift. So we stay focused on the thing that God has called Redemption Bible Church Fort Wayne to focus on. The same values that drove us 11 years ago when we planted this church are the same values that are driving us today. They haven't changed, but if we don't keep our eyes fixed on them, if we don't remind ourselves of them from time to time, we're gonna drift, we're gonna move. There are other things that can catch our gaze and our attention, and we want to be laser focused on what God has called us to. So that's why we're taking a short book from a break from Genesis and Romans to, to spend some focused time to say, what is the church? Who should we be? What has God called us to? We are the church. We need to commit or recommit to pursuing those values that we hold dear to the calling that God has given us. So that's our big idea for this morning. I will commit to the church according to God's design. I will commit to the church according to God's design. This morning, I have a very big job. So here's why it's a big job. I am seeking to communicate a theological concept to us this morning that has been the study of our elder board for nearly 18 months. I get 40 minutes, give or take, to communicate 18 months of study. So what I'm presenting to you this morning is not just Adam's take on something. This is something that the elders have been talking about, praying about, studying together for a year and a half. So much of those things that you don't see that our elder team does on a regular basis of talking about what does the word say about this and how does that apply to our church. This is a a culmination of that study this morning. So, buckle up. 
because this is an important topic and we are going to need to dive into the word. This morning, we are going to have to mine the depths of what the word says about it in order for us to understand the truth. So that's a really big setup. So what in the world are we talking about this morning? Well, we're gonna talk about the topic of church membership. That word, that concept I know brings different thoughts and feelings and emotions to all of you in this room. Some of you are like, why in the world are we talking about this? Isn't pretty much everybody here already a member? Why are we gonna spend this much time? Why did you spend 18 months diving into the word about that? Some of you are like, we're doing a whole sermon on church membership. The words church never, membership never even show up in scripture. How could you spend an entire message on that? And then I know that there are some of you who have church hurt that plays into your understanding and thought process about church membership. There are those of you who have a different church background, a different upbringing and different denominations that play into your understanding of church membership. And those things are real and they're valid and often hard. And I wanna be sensitive to that, but I also would be missing if we didn't open the word and show you what God has designed the church to be. I wanna say, if you're in one of those hard places, we're, we are always available to talk. We want to do that. We have a biblical counseling uh, ministry that can minister to that. We have pastors who are trained in that. The elders would love to dive into that with you. We're here for that. But with all of that background, let's, let's dive into this idea of, of church membership. To start, we need to quickly define the word church because we can't define church membership without knowing what a church is first. The definition that is most often used of church is a called out assembly, a called out assembly. And that's a really good theological definition of the Greek word ekklesia, but it is not really a good lexical or just sheerly what the word means in its Greek uh, definition. So there are really two main ways that the Greek word ekklesia, church, is used. The first is this, it's the, the universal church, the universal church. What is the universal church? It's all true believers that have ever lived and will ever live. All true believers that have ever lived and will ever live. One Greek lexicon uh, defines it this way, the global community of Christians, the universal church. So it's all believers on the planet now, all the believers who have been on the planet before, and all the believers who will be on the planet in the future. Those all make up the universal church. So that's the first way that the, the church is defined in the New Testament. The second way is this, it's the local church, the local church. So this is local manifestations of the universal church. So these are small gatherings of people who are true believers on the face of the planet right now in local bodies. So Walter Bauer again said this, of a specific Christian group assembly gathering ordinarily involving worship and discussion of matters of concern to the community. So small local churches like what you're sitting in right now. 
So what we are discussing in terms of church membership today is primarily focused on the local church, primarily focused on the local church. And as we consider the context of these passages, it's going to become evident why that's true and necessary. So we're going to look at several passages today, and we will see why. One more clarification before we dive into the text this morning. I want to answer the skeptic who may be sitting out there who says the term church member is found nowhere in scripture. Because the reality is, you are correct. The term does not occur anywhere in the New Testament. You can't go to a passage that says, thou shalt be a church member. The concept of church membership is what we call a biblical construct. What does that mean? It means that as you study the New Testament in its original context, you will see that the concept of church membership is present there. While the words might not be present, the concept is. And some of you might be getting really nervous and ready to like storm the stage and throw me off even with that idea, but, but let me give you an example of how that's true. So turn to the passage in the New Testament that defines the Trinity and uses the word Trinity. You can't, because it's a biblical construct. There are passages that say God is one. There are passages that say God is Father and Son and Spirit, and those all coexist. And so what theologians have done over the years, knowing that those things are all equally true, is they have crafted one word, Trinity, to help us understand this huge biblical concept. It's shorthand, for a concept that we see clearly taught in scripture. It's biblically clear, but it needed a word to help us. And, and we do this stuff all the time. In your jobs, you have shorthand, I'm sure. So it took me years to understand when Angela came home from the, the hospital, yes, years, because I'm dense, to know what in the world an MI is. Well, I now know that it is a myocardial infarction, right? <laughs> myocardial infarction, which really just means it's a heart attack, which is also short-term for a deadly medical emergency where your heart muscle begins to die because it's not getting enough blood flow. And if I'm having a heart attack, I don't want the doctors and nurses to have to give me this really long definition to tell other people what to do, right? I want them to just say, hey, he's having an MI. And they know what that means, and it means all of these other things. Biblical constructs aren't bad, nor are they even smaller theological concepts. They're just shorthand to explain much larger concepts that are for, what, for whatever reason, God didn't decide to put the word Trinity in the Bible. He didn't decide to put the word membership in the Bible, but he put the concepts there that we need to understand. So this morning, we've gotta do some biblical theology Work. What that means is we're gonna take a look at several passages to say, what does the word of God say about this concept so that we can seek to understand what God has said about the church? Through those passages, we will define church membership as we go along. Make sense? Good, because that was all just intro. So here we go. Again, our big idea, I will commit to the church according to God's design. And we're gonna actually take this sermon in two parts. Jamie's gonna take the second part next week and talk about the implications of what it means once we see this in scripture. But we're just gonna look at the first of two major points this morning. And the first is this, we just wanna understand God's design. 
We want to understand God's design. So we're going to look at three descriptions of God's design for the local church this morning. The first is this. We are a flock. We are a flock. Would you leave a finger in uh, 1 Corinthians because we're coming back. And I, I want to jump over to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter five, verse one says this. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So this is, he's saying, this is what I want you to do, elders. I'm exhorting you. Here's what he wants. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful game, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. The elders are called to shepherd the flock of God. That is a call from Peter to the elders. So that begs the question, what in the world is a flock? So, Flock is the Greek word poimnion, poimnion. It's used twice in this passage, once at the beginning of verse two and once at the end of verse three. And my favorite Greek lexicon, uh, short BDAG, defines it as this, a defined group of persons under a leader, a flock. A defined group of persons under a leader, a flock. So a flock is a definable group with a leader. So we could read the passage this way. Shepherd the defined group of people that you lead that belong to God. That is the call to the elders. And and it makes sense as you consider this whole analogy of being shepherds, a shepherd can't tend to sheep he doesn't know. You wouldn't have random shepherds moving throughout a region just randomly grabbing sheep and being like, hey, I'm gonna make sure you're fed and I'm gonna make sure you're doing this. No, the shepherd knows who his sheep are. He, he puts them into the fold at night. He makes sure they're fed. He makes sure they're safe. He makes sure that he leads them to the still waters to drink. He would protect them from enemies. And sure, if another shepherd comes along with his flock and, and there's a problem, maybe he goes alongside to help, but he's gonna make sure his, his flock is cared for first. The whole analogy of the flock that God gives requires that shepherds know who the sheep are, not to mention that that's literally what the word means, a defined group of people. This illustration makes a great deal of sense when you put it even into our modern context. How many churches are within a stone's throw from this building right now? Are they Our flock, are they the flock under the elders of Redemption Bible Church just because they are a part of the church, uh, the universal church in our city? Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. It's among you. It's necessary to identify which shepherds are going to shepherd which sheep. What, de- what defines that? Walking into a church on Sunday morning 
or maybe if I attend once a month or twice a month or three times a month or if I'm plugged into that ministry or this, like we have to know, that's the point. We have to understand who, who is saying they are part of this flock so that we know who we're gonna shepherd. So that's the first thing that church membership does. Church membership defines the flock for the shepherds. Church membership defines the flock for the shepherds. And, and this is no small thing, by the way. I'm gonna give, I as an elder am going to give an account for all the sheep in the flock. I need to know who those sheep are. Let me, let me prove it to you. Flip back over just a couple of pages in your Bible to uh, Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. It says this, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your soul. Similar language to what we just saw in, in Peter they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. O obey your leaders and submit to them. Well, well which, which leaders? The, the leaders of, of Blackhawk down the road? The leaders of North Park the, the other way? The leaders of your flock. Church membership also does this, church. Church membership defines who the shepherds will give an account for. It defines who the shepherds will give an account for. It's not all leaders in every church in Fort Wayne. It's not all leaders in every church in the world. It can't be. It's not a universal church command. This is a local body church command. As the sheep... The book of Hebrews would call you to place yourself under the care of a group of elders. It's scary sometimes, right? It, it, it can be very scary because, trust me, I get it. I'm imperfect. But our elders are imperfect men just trying to do our best to honor the Lord with what he has called us to. Sometimes we don't get it right because we're sinners just like your sinners. And sometimes we have to come back and, and repent, hopefully, as, as God calls us to say, you know, we didn't see that situation right. We didn't act properly. Look, church, I can sit here and say, I've been hurt by church elders. So I understand. But we're called to place ourselves under the care of church elders. That's not my design, it's God's. It's right here in the text. No caveats, no but if you've, or but if this happened, God's way, God's design. And God's design is always best even when we wish it were different because of our experience. His way is always best. If you worked for Meyer, you weren't gonna walk in tomorrow and tell your boss, we'll call him Jim, you know, Jim, you're, you're a really great guy, but I heard that Jack over at Walmart, I like the way he leads a little bit better, so I'm just gonna follow his rules. I'm still gonna work here, but I'm gonna follow his rules. I don't think that's gonna work very well for you because, you know, Jim is just gonna say, great, see ya. You can't follow the rules of another leader when you're under the care of him. 
You have to follow the leader God has placed over you in your job, not some other leader from another job. And God has designed his church to have shepherds over each individual or congregation to lead those churches and to have sheep that know who that shepherd is and to be able to be cared for by those shepherds. God has called the sheep to actively obey and actively submit, not, not in a passive way, not just show up and be like, well, I'm here, so it's fine. No, to actively obey and submit, we see in Hebrews chapter 13. It's an active thing. It needs outward steps to show that it's happening. Church membership defines the shepherds for the sheep. It's the third thing it does. It, it defines the shepherds for the sheep. You need to know who your shepherds are. Can you answer that question clearly right now based on where you are in the church? Is it, is it clear in your brain who your shepherds are? Have you committed to willingly place yourself under the care and direction of a group of elders? Shepherds, like God would call you to do in Hebrews chapter 13. Three descriptions of God's design for the local church. The first is we are a flock. The second is this, we are a body. We are a body. Go back to now 1 Corinthians that Dennis read for us earlier. For the sake of time, I'm not gonna go back and reread this entire passage, but it's this illustration of the body. And this passage often, I believe, gets misapplied to being the universal church and not the local church. Uh, look back at the beginning of the book of 1 Corinthians. If you just flip back to chapter one of 1 Corinthians, let me prove to you one of the reasons I believe that's true. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 1, verse two? Who is he writing to? Look, he's writing to the church of God that is where? In Corinth a specific local gathering of the church, this church in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Paul is writing to a specific body in a specific location. If that doesn't convince you alone, look back at chapter 12. Look at verse 23 of chapter 12. Oh, let's get a running start, go to verse 22. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the bodies that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Which are more presentable parts do not require, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that I lacked it. Do you see how personal that language is? Like, understanding who the presentable and unpresentable parts might be. There, there's this there's closeness of language there that I would never know about some church in California. In order to understand it in that way, it's gotta be people that I'm fellowshipping with, that I'm gathered with. But look, look at verse 25, that there may be no division in the body. No division in the body. So either every church in the world is just massively failing at this because there's a lot of division worldwide in the church, right? Look how many denominations we have. 
or this, this is a local church body command. He speaks of caring for the body. If we, if we look at verse 26, if, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Is that, is that happening from the worldwide church? I don't think we can make that argument. In order to really perform these applications that Paul gives us, we have to know who is part of the body. And we have to know who is not part of the body. This can't be for every church, even in our city, let alone every church that has ever existed in the world. I mean, just think about it. How many of you know which nose is yours this morning? Everybody got that figured out? What about which hand is yours? Or which foot is yours? Of course we do. We, we know our bodies. We know which is which. As time goes on, we learn what our bodies are and are not capable of. I am not a NBA level basketball player. I learned that a long time ago. I know my body is not capable of that. And this is, this is Paul's analogy. We have a group of people with various gifts and abilities all being part of one body. We know the parts of that body. The body is defined. The parts are defined. It's not in question. We have been given gifts to use to serve the members of the local church, to serve God through the body. Each part is necessary for the body to function. If your foot just decides to not show up one day, that's not gonna go very well for you. If your brain just takes the day out, well, maybe that's a bad example. For some of you, that happens. But seriously, like if your brain doesn't work, nothing else works. You, you, every part is significant. I, I don't know a lot about my pancreas, but when I discovered a few months ago that it wasn't keeping up with my diet, it suddenly became a lot more important to me because it wasn't working like it was supposed to. The whole body is necessary. So this is the fourth thing that membership does. Church membership defines the parts of the body that should be using their gifts. Defines the parts of the body that should be using their gifts. So the logical question there, and we'll dive more into this next week, is are you using your gifts for the body? What part of the body are you? And are you using your gifts? All right, three descriptions of God's design for the local church. The first, we are a flock. The second, we are a body. And the third is this, we are a family. We are a family. Flip with me to Matthew chapter 18. I'm gonna look at the fourth passage for the morning. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 15. <clears throat> If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector." If your who sins against you? Your, your brother. 
This isn't foreign to the New Testament. This is language that's used often in the New Testament. The idea of brothers and sisters in Christ. The, the church is a family that is bonded together by one thing, that is Jesus. It's how we should act, it's who we should be. Do you know who is in your family? I do, whether I like it or not sometimes. Should there be a way for you to know who is in your family? I mean, honestly, right? You're either born into a family and it's very apparent that you're a part of that family or you're adopted into a family and it's equally as apparent because there's a process that you go through to say, this is the family that I'm in. The family is well defined. And by the way, this is why Matthew 18 and church discipline works. We know who the family is. We handle the business of church discipline as a family. It's also why the threat is so severe. You're going to basically tell them you aren't part of this family anymore. And why? Because they have evidenced that they were never a part of the family, right? Treat them as a Gentile and a tax collector. We're gonna treat them as an unbeliever, somebody who was never actually a part of this body of this family. The consequence of Matthew 18 has absolutely no teeth if it's this ambiguous group of people that don't mean anything to you. Which, if we're honest, we have to be really careful of in our culture. It's really easy to just move on to the next church because this one made me mad. Or this person, I don't like them, so I'm just gonna go down the road, right? Like, again, I can hit four churches with a stone probably from this building. But the reality is we're approaching a sin that is so egregious and unrepented of that we are literally questioning their salvation, aka if they were ever born into or adopted into the family. Church discipline is serious because it has serious relational ramifications. It's gonna cost you something. It's gonna hurt. Church membership defines who is in the local family. It's important. If someone else's family is going off the deep end, if they're, if they're sinning, I'm sad for them. I'll pray for them, I'll help them as I can, but I don't have the same relational skin in the game as if somebody in my family is going off the deep end. Church membership defines who we are responsible to discipline if necessary. Who do I need to press into? Who do I need to, to call to say, no, 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 don't go that way. So here we go then. What is our definition of church membership? It's this, church members are a group of believers in Jesus Christ who are demonstrating that they are part of a local gathering of other believers in Jesus Christ through participation in a set of shared values and beliefs. It's wordy, it's not my definition, it's actually Wayne Grudem's definition of church membership. We're a group of believers who are demonstrating that they are part of a local gathering through participation and a shared set of values and beliefs. Okay, so what? 
Well, Jamie's message next week is gonna spend a whole lot of time on the so what, what it actually practically then looks like to be a church member. But the test for you this morning is, do you trust God's design for the church? Because I think after studying for a year and a half through this issue that it is very clear in scripture. I know you've probably been hurt in churches. And I know this because church is full of a bunch of sinners and what do sinners do? They sin. I, I know church can be challenging. Trust me, I live, eat, and breathe church. I know how challenging church can be. I know how messy and ugly the church can be at times. Trust me, I get it. Because sin mars what God designs every time. So just because it's marred by sin doesn't mean that God's design for it is bad. So it's at this point that I have to press on you a little bit because I love you. A really large portion of the time, theological issues are actually relational issues. Do you know this to be true? So homosexuality is clearly a sin in scripture. Jamie just walked us through that a couple weeks ago. When does it become hard to believe that? When somebody I know and love is struggling with that sin. That's, that's the start of it. That's when I start to say, hey, man, they don't seem that bad. Is, that, is it really that clear in scripture? It, it starts out as a relational thing that makes us question theology. And hopefully, God leads us to a place of conviction to say, no, my word is clear on this. But when we drift theologically, it often most often in my experience, starts relationally. And so, is that clouding your judgment on the church? Right, I was baptized in a, as an infant, and the church says in order to be a member, I, I, I've gotta get baptized, and I, I really don't wanna walk through that because then I've got to deal with talking to my parents about that, and that's just gonna be awkward, and you know, then it's gonna potentially paint them in a poor light that they did something that maybe, you know, I don't think is as biblically clear as they thought, and how, how do I work through all of that? You see how now I'm questioning church membership because of a relational tension. Or maybe somebody that I'm close to was really hurt by a church, or maybe I was really hurt by a church, and again, even that, that's re relational distance that is making me say, is this really something that's safe for me to put myself under the authority of a group of elders? It's not because it's biblically unclear. We just walked through four passages, and by the way, I can walk you through more that show you how clear it is that there is a known group of people who should be gathering as a local body. That is plainly clear in scripture. God designed the church to operate as a flock, a body, a family. It's clear. Not because it would be perfect, but because it would bring him glory. Remember last week, what did Jamie remind us of? To him be glory in the church. He's designed it the way he has designed it so that he would be glorified through it. 
He would be glorified through us pressing through hard relationships. He would be glorified in us pressing into unity. And if you have any question about that, Jesus died for his bride, his church. Jesus died for the church. He cared enough about this body, this flock, this family to give his life for it. It's not perfect, but isn't that the point of why Jesus came? Because it can't be. He needed to redeem imperfect sinners and to put them in a place where they would be known so that they could be pressed into a deeper love relationship with him to put them in a place where they would be shepherded, to put them in a place where they would be pushed towards Christ's likeness. Jesus gave his life for that church. To love his church means to love him. I mean, we get this. If you're married, you're not gonna come up to me and say, hey, I really like you and I'd like to be friends, but I'm not that crazy about Angela, which nobody would say. It would be the other way. Anyways, no. <laughs> All right, a little too emphatic, Aaron, thank you. But, but we're a package deal, right? I can't love Jesus and not love the church. I can't love the church and not love Jesus. The two are together. It's the, it's the bride and the bridegroom. So there's a call this morning. Commit. Commit to the bride of Christ. Membership is that commitment to a local body. As elders, we believe this is important. We would call this a primary doctrine. So if you remember the levels of doctrine that we often talk to to make sure that we don't elevate things that shouldn't be elevated, we don't hold things closed-handed that we shouldn't hold closed-handed, so we have essentials. These are things that are necessary for the gospel. So it's not essential, it's not there. You can be a believer in Jesus Christ and have a different view on membership, but then we get to primary doctrine. And primary doctrine are doctrines that we hold near because they are clear biblically and they have a high impact on to how how the church functions. And we believe that is where church membership falls. There are secondary doctrines, doctrines that, you know, if we disagree, it, there's room for disagreement there because the Bible isn't as clear. And then there are issues of preference that the Bible speaks very little about, if at all, or just things that we like or don't like. And we believe because after 18 months of study, we believe the Bible is clear on this issue, that it is an issue of primary doctrine. Not a salvation issue, but it's really important. The reality is it's vital to your relationship with Jesus for you to be engaged in a local body to spur you on to Christ's likeness. We were never designed to walk this Christian life alone. That is a foreign concept to the New Testament. You were designed to live in community. And we believe church membership is one of those designs. So have you committed? What's holding you back? Will you commit? Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us in this. Lord Jesus, I pray that the truth of your word would be clear this morning. I pray that um, it would be the thing 
that is convicting hearts where they need convicted, encouraging hearts, because look, church membership is a massive encouragement. I have a group of people who want to be a body, a family, a flock, a group of people who want to press me into Christ-likeness, that want to press others into Christ-likeness and have chosen to demonstrate that in the values that they share and the commitment that they're making. God, I pray for those who are hurting, who have church hurt. God, I pray you would help them heal through that because your church can sheep do bite. And yet you've designed the church how you've designed it, knowing full well that those things would happen. Because you know that in the resolution of those things, there's glory for you to have. As we press into hard relationships, as we press into to seek to heal, you get glory for that. It's why you created us to bring you glory. And that's not always easy for us. So I pray for the strength to press into those relationships that need pressed into. For the, the strength to work through those hard things in our past. To see the value of your word more than the value of even relationships around us at times. Press that into our hearts. Remind us of the true value the church has because of who Jesus is and what he gave for it. It's in his precious name that we pray, amen. Thanks, church. Have a great week. You were loved.